respect to the people of the Woi Wurrung and Bun Wurrung language groups of the Eastern Kulin Nations on whose unceded lands the SIN office and studios stand. SIN Media respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. SIN Media also acknowledges the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches and on which SIN partner organisations stand. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello. We, today on Razor Platform, we have Sean and his interpreter, Paul. Sean, would you like to say a few words and introduce yourself to Raise a Platform? Hello, Emmy. Yes, my name is Sean Fua and I'm profoundly deaf. I was born profoundly deaf and Ozan is my first language. I live in Brisbane. It's lovely to meet you, Emmy. Thank you very much. So tell us a bit about what you do in what you do. I'm 31 years of age and my cultural background is Malaysian Chinese. I'm a full-time TAFE student at the moment studying Certificate 4 in TAE, Training and Assessment Education, the goal to become an Ozan teacher. In my free time, I support the deaf community and disabled NDS participants in advocacy. And I'm very passionate to ensure that deaf people, as well as hard of hearing people and people with other disabilities have the access that they need, particularly in the employment space, but which will benefit not only themselves, but our society. I think that it's important, Imi, that all invoke as normal people, but particularly our employers understand how deaf and disabled people bring strength and advantages as well as innovative solutions to the workplace environment. It's important to be open-minded, respectful, friendly, kind, and also empathetic. I think these are all key values, as well as compassion. <clears throat> Not to make assume assumptions or a bias or uh, prejudice. And also not to use a deficit way of thinking. Uh, a person can't do this, rather a person can do this. And again, not to, not to exploit, neglect or use or abuse deaf or disabled people. I think it's very sad that normal people uh, see that people with disability as a burden in our society, in mainstream society. That couldn't be further from the truth. Everyone uh, is normal in their own way, subjective. It's all about being human communicating, accessing the world in which we live. And the world continues to change at a fast pace, particularly the fast pace of technology. I'd like to think that people are more aware now of participation, diversity and inclusion, as well as equity of participation in the workplace. Deaf people are more confident today. Uh, and we had, in the olden days, people who are deaf and disabled were pushed to the side and often were in institutes and were not able to mix freely in, in mainstream society. We're, we're not shy, we're not hidden away, we are confident about. Employers obviously need to make reasonable accommodations and adjustments which require 
financial resources. There's one government program I want to draw your attention to, the EAF, the Employee Assistance Fund. The EAF provides supports for deaf people, such as up to $6,000 for interpreting and captioning for people who are deaf or hard of hearing in the workplace to be able to access workplace meetings, training, reviews. So EAF is there to provide also awareness training, disability workshops, uh, up to the, the, the value of $1,500. You also have an occupational therapist who will come to your workplace to ensure that it's accessible for people who are deaf. In our case, that there are visual alarms rather than audio alarms. You may have a device which vibrates in the event of an emergency. There's also $855 for people who can hear to learn Auslan uh, to do Auslan Certificate 2. And that way you, you, the deaf person could have a buddy in the workplace that understands Auslan. There's also wage subsidies and incentives available. And these are brilliant. Uh, business, I believe, uh, looks up to this twenty dollars to $22,000 depending on the type of disability uh, and access needs. And it really encourages uh, employers to take on uh, disabled people. And job access is another government initiative, um, which looks after the EAF. Uh, if any questions or concerns, I would encourage people to Google job access, EAF online, give them a call on 1-800. Uh, their staff are really friendly and more than happy to answer any question uh, that people have during business hours, Monday to Friday. Now, my tip for employers is that employers, HR recruiters really need to make an effort to apply for the EAF to ensure that it's easy for deaf and disabled people to be able to enter the workplace and not leave that on the deaf or disabled person's shoulders because the EAF uh, includes a lot of red tape. That's a very clear process you've got to go through to uh, confirm one, your disability, and two, you are actually employed. I faced a number of barriers. And often I found that employers want to give you casual shifts. The EAF is very strict. It's not available. You need to work eight hour minimums, a shift at least eight hours per week for 13 weeks to be eligible for the EAF. That's three months of work. So the government really is encouraging employers in the community to get deaf and disabled people, permanent work. And the AAF, like I said, let's say one day per week work, then you are eligible for it on a regular basis. Centrelink, the Centrelink system for receiving the disability support pension. A lot of disabled people do not want to leave those benefits of reduced uh, travel, public transport, uh, TAFE education and pharmaceutical benefits, and that's also a very difficult question. So I hope I've answered your first question clearly, Innie. Well, thank you. Um, that was really good. Those are probably some of the best sort of answers that we've ever had on this show, the most organized answers we've ever had. Now we're going to be doing question two. Can you tell us a bit more about your decision to disclose or not disclose your disability in recruitment and employment? Based upon my personal experience, Amy, it's very difficult to decide. Why I say that is because when I tell a person that I am profoundly deaf and I use Auslan to communicate, 
and will need an Auslan interpreter for a job interview. Many employers or HR professionals just literally shut off, ignore my responses, hang up on me, do not reply to me. When I use the video relay service, the VRS to speak to people via telephone, or the national relay service, making inquiries about a job interview, that really lessens my confidence. I feel quite sad and frustrated. And the Australian community does, is not open-minded, does not embrace people with disabilities in the workplace. When I finished year 12, I was a young man at that time, I went to university and I applied for a number of jobs. I did disclose that I was deaf and to please only contact me via SMS because I cannot hear on the telephone. The number of people that rejected my application that didn't want to work with me at all until I graduated from university and then looking for my first professional job, I applied for 1,000 jobs, Amy. I had 50 interviews out of that 1,000 applications. And six years ago, I realized that I no longer was going to disclose that I was deaf and not to contact me only via SMS, but just to leave my email address there. So I couldn't take people's calls when they called me on the telephone. So when I received an SMS asking, could you please call me? I would say, look, I'm not available. Only available you know, later at night, that's, that's say no, I can only speak to you during business hours. Now I have conversations with many of my friends that have different disabilities to myself. They can be deaf or hard of hearing, blind or neurodiverse. And they've told me, based upon their experience, they're no longer on their LinkedIn profile, disclose their deafness or disability, uh, including on job applications, because HR professionals are biased, employers are biased, and they discriminate against us. So when I apply for jobs now, Amy, um, I act like, better come as a normal person, in my case, a person that can hear. So I'm not discriminated against at the point of even getting an interview so that employers do not know that I'm deaf. So whenever I apply for a job and receive an interview, there's no reference to my being deaf. I just include my email address with no phone number. And that's how I found that I'm getting job interviews. And it's very frustrating to have to do that. So over the last six years, I've applied for 3000 jobs and I have received 120 interviews. Many of the interviews I've had have not, not utilised Auslan interpreters. So we've written to each other, the employer and myself. I put forward the Disability Discrimination Act and many employers say, I do not want an interpreter. So I have to make the adjustment to write with the employer notes. And you'll see that there are many, many solutions that we have to find uh, to be able to get those interviews and jobs. I found often that it comes down to trust and confidence. And many of my friends who are deaf, any or disabled are no longer disclosing that at the time of application, because the Australian community is not disability friendly in the workplace. When it comes to recruitment. I hope that answers your question. It does really well. So Sean, I have a disability that I can in a way keep hidden, though it is not ideal for me to keep it hidden. Um, it is a disability that um, if I don't tell you, you may not think that I have a disability, but you probably would think there is something different about me. So I have autism. 
and it's a disability that if I were to have completely hidden it from the world, I probably would have gone well, forever, people not ever finding out that I had this disability. And throughout high school I and primary school to an extent, I, I, I did that. I did keep it hidden and I did keep it secret. But when I got to university, I met with a very, um, it's very um, interesting sort of environment where these sort of things were talked about in the open. And I openly talked about my disability with people. And now my disability is printed openly. Thank what? you for sharing that, Amy, your personal experience. Um, with regard to uh, having autism and the adjustments that you had to make uh, in the world. I can relate to that. From being a young boy today to being 31, I also disclose openly that I'm profoundly deaf, that I cannot lip read or speak. I use Ozan to communicate and written English. And people think because you cannot speak and lip read, you must be, must be dumb. Say, no, I'm not. I have language and communication. I communicate in a different way to you, being a hearing, speaking person. It doesn't mean that I'm dumb, all right? It doesn't mean that you're intelligent because you can hear or speak. We just communicate in different ways. So when I went to work, I find it quite difficult uh, to share uh, my disability, but at university, TAFE, and in the community of sports and airspace, I'm very open about that. Everyone knows. When I go to a shop, a restaurant, a theater, a doctor, a dentist, I disclose I'm deaf. People know that I'm deaf. I wear hearing aids and I use sign language. So it's a visible, a visible sign. When I received employment, uh, then I made it known to all of my colleagues and team that I'm profoundly deaf. I use Ozan to communicate. I do not speak or lip read and I communicate in written language. So I found that you've got to break in, break those barriers. But if you're not given the opportunity at work at all, it's very difficult but when you are invited then it makes it easier to disclose so what advice do you have for disabled people seeking work my advice Amy, for disabled young people seeking work today is look out for businesses who are disability friendly that have disability inclusion policies and have those values Look at the culture of the organization, the CEO or the leaders, set the tone and culture. Look for that. Apply for jobs in those organizations um, that are supportive and do not discriminate against disabled people. Talk to your friends, your networks, professional networks, NDS. Try everything that you can, okay? Seek.com to find those employment opportunities. But importantly, find jobs that match your skills, align to your values, um, your dreams, your ambitions, your career goals. Think about transport, how you're gonna to get to that place of employment, hours, um, days that you wanna work, days, nights, mornings, afternoons, nights. And also have backup ideas and strategies and solutions to the barriers that you know you're gonna face in the interview plus in employment when you get that job. So that's often the hardest part for people with disabled, disabled people and like myself 
those aspects that I've just highlighted, they're the hardest parts of finding a job. And now we have the next question. And here we go. As an Auslan user in the deaf community, can you tell us more about supporting accessible communication for all people? Yes. As a deaf person that uses Auslan, my experience may be a little different to other white Australians who are born deaf. As a Asian deaf person uh, from call community, English is not my first language or my home language. In fact, it's my fourth language. And my first language being sign language, my third language being English. I've noticed how difficult it is for many people who do not understand Auslan or sign language or how to get a deaf person's attention by gently tapping them on the shoulder. Some people rudely tap you on the head or point you or uh, kick you or poke you rather than come to your face in front of you or gently tap your shoulder or get your eye gaze or that way and be able to maintain uh, communication with you by maintaining eye contact. In deaf culture, it's very important to engage in Auslan. Uh, Auslan is a visual spatial language. It's very rich and it can be quite direct. Deaf people don't mean to cause offense, but our communication style can be direct um, given the structure of Auslan. So what we'd ask is to be patient with us like anyone else would be, uh, and that uh, just ensure that you communicate clearly um, and concisely, write short notes, uh, don't hurry us. Deaf people love it if you try to show you know some basic Auslan to communicate with us. Auslan has eight states. It's, um, for example, some of the signs in Brisbane are different to the signs where you are in Sin Radio and Melbourne. For example, this sign for car is probably the one that you're familiar with. Car, like putting your hands around the steering wheel here in Queensland. But in Victoria, the sign you use for car is like the sign that we use for a coffee grinder, for coffee. It'd be quite confusing. Funny, huh? I always thought it was a bit odd that Auslan was never yes. taught at schools, yet they also taught languages outside of English. How should we make Auslan more widely learned in Australia and around the world? Yeah, that's a difficult question to answer, Amy, and I, I find a real challenge to answer that in a short period of time. How about I just make a few points? Firstly, governments, both federal and state, need to give uh, more opportunities for people who are deaf to, to become Ausan teachers. So Ausan teachers are available to teach in our schools. Right now, the curriculum and assessment, it's not always flexible or accommodating to deaf people's needs. Uh, and what I've found often is that many people who are not deaf are learning basic Auslan and culturally appropriating uh, from the deaf community and getting those jobs, teaching based upon the basic Auslan they know, rather than employing deaf people to teach Auslan. How can a person who can hear just on a basic Auslan course be able to teach and explain Auslan? If it's the case where there's no deaf person qualified to teach, I understand that a person who's not deaf could teach, but they should be assisted by a deaf person to provide that content expertise, even though they may not have that qualification. 
So to answer your question, one, more deaf people are able to access higher education and become Auslan teachers. And then two, making Auslan available in our schools. I hope that answers your question. And another important point is that deaf people are very protective of Auslan because Auslan is our language. Uh, it was created by deaf people. It is our language that we use every day. Let's say, for example, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who do not want non-Indigenous people teaching their language and their culture, but ensuring that the custodians of the language and culture share that with other people who would like to learn it. Similarly with the deaf community. Um, we got another question after this. One of your hobbies is learning foreign sign languages. What is your favourite part about doing this? Okay, I really enjoy learning languages. It helps my cognitive development, plus my cells, my cells to grow, my metacognition from an intellectual point of view, as well as understanding then different cultures, languages, and how they influence each other. I'll give you one example. In Australia, the sign for eat is like this. That uses the hand, think about when you're eating something, taking it to your mouth. Whereas sandwich, when China, the sign for eat is very different. It's like this. And that is taking chopsticks, for example, from a bowl to your mouth. That is their sign for eat. Very different. You can appreciate how culture informs language. In Malaysia, for example, Malaysian deaf people do not use very much facial expression. It's a very reserved culture. Whereas in Australia, the deaf community is much more expressive and uses a lot of animation and facial expression. As a general rule, Asian people are more reserved. They do not use as much facial expression in their, in their communication and sign language. Signs continue to evolve every day. Think about the sign for telephone when it was first invented and how the telephone has changed throughout the ages. Um, that also is reflected in the signs that we use for telephone. Another example is how sign languages in countries around the world have been removed and replaced by non-Indigenous sign languages. That now is being challenged and those artificial sign languages brought in from other countries are uh, being replaced by the natural Indigenous sign language. Now, is this the last question? Um, so one thing I've noticed that there is a lot of different sign language, even in um, places that speak English. So Britain, America and Australia all have a different sign languages. Do you think the variety of different sign languages around the world makes global accessibility a challenge? Yes, I understand that what you're saying about every country having its own national sign language that does pre present a challenge. However, the World Federation of the Deaf has said that there are over 300 different sign languages around the globe. In addition to that, there are different states and dialects. So there are local variations, similar to spoken languages that have different dialects, different accents. When a person, for example, is on Zoom, uh, you wanna ensure that the interpreter is easy to see and not in a small corner, which is like a whisper to a person who can hear. It, you struggle to hear. We need to be able to see clearly, like you're able to hear clearly. Many people assume you're right that sign language is universal. It is not, as I've just said. There are over 300 different sign languages around the globe. Each country has its own culture and therefore language. And it's no different in the deaf community. Yes, in America, they use 
spoken and written English, but American Sign Language is different to British Sign Language. Uh, even though they have the same origin, there's a different education and culture as well as sign language that the Americans uh, developed. Um, and therefore, there's more opportunity for diversity, more opportunity to learn different languages. I hope that's a short, succinct answer, Amy. That's good.